Welcome to Preceptive Practice, another CE Impact podcast. CE Impact is a leader in pharmacy education and lifelong learning. Visit www.ceimpact.com for more information. P2P podcast is dedicated to helping preceptors grow and learn while balancing the demands of a busy schedule. This podcast is for the professional preceptor who wants to thrive and is looking for the tips and tricks to succeed while headed to work. Today's episode is a continuation of our conversation on cognitive biases with Tracy and Cassidy. So we're really excited for them to be here. Tracy? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Precept to Practice. My name is Tracy Pettinger, and I am a clinical associate professor at Idaho State University. And joining me today is Cassidy McKay, a clinical assistant professor also at Idaho State University. Both of us are preceptors. Uh, I work in ambulatory care, and Cassidy is involved in general medicine. Today's episode is going to be on mitigation of cognitive biases. And we actually recommend that you listen to the previous podcast on this topic, which was cognitive bias in medicine. And that will introduce you to different types of biases, why we have biases. And then this one subsequently will go over how to mitigate um, their influence on our decision-making. So we wanna start off with um, a little bit of a engagement exercise for you to kind of put things together. So what I want you to do is think of your beliefs about masking to prevent COVID-19 transmission. Okay, hot topic. So think about your thought or think about your beliefs. And if you were to search for evidence with regard to masking and COVID-19 transmission, where would you go? And what search terms would you use? So overall, did you notice anything in particular? Did you happen to use search terms or a search engine that would perhaps help you confirm your preformed opinion. This is a, an example of confirmation bias. Overall, we are susceptible to biases. That's just the way of nature. That's the way of our decision-making as humans. And what we need to do or what we need to realize is our susceptibility to bias. And when we know that this occurs, how do we mitigate its influence on our decision-making and our precepting? Cassie, you've researched this in detail. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks, Tracy. So great question. Before I jump into mitigating, I think it's super important to understand kind of what factors make us susceptible to so that we can we can figure out um, why we actually care about mitigating. So I'm going to jump back really quick and talk about the three uh, predisposing factors. So you have person factors, patient factors, and system factors. Person factors are are like you. So Tracy, if you're super tired today, that's going to predispose you to a bias. Um, If you are feeling very fatigued or if you've just spent a lot of time thinking throughout the day, those are things that would predispose you to bias. Um, Patient factors. So this is like in medicine, complex presentation, a patient with a number of comorbidities or when you don't have the full history on the patient. And then this one is one of my favorite, Tracy. I want you to listen to this and think about a field in pharmacy or, you know, how this, these factors, these system factors might play a role in, in pharmacy. So workflow design, 
insufficient time, inadequate processes to acquire information, not having access, access to health information, so not having access to an EMR, poorly designed work environment, poor teamwork, um, collaboration or communication. Tracy, can you think of any uh, settings in, um, in pharmacy where that might be, some of those factors might play a role? These sound like different pitfalls that can happen um, in different retail settings, actually. Absolutely. So when I, when I read this, the first time I read this, I was like, this feels like community pharmacy. Um, you know, you've got people standing there while you count, you've got phones ringing off the hook. You can't get access to all of the patient's medical information. Um, so pharmacy in general, medicine in general, but especially I think community, community pharmacy from a system standpoint sets us up for, um, for some cognitive biases. So I wanted to talk about those first, because I think the first step in mitigating is recognizing bias in yourself and understanding those factors. And when you might be in a situation to be more susceptible to bias is super important. So thanks Tracy for working through that with me. Um, with regard to how, you know, approaches to mitigating, there are a lot, um, there are a lot of different things that you can do to mitigate biases once you recognize that you have them. But in many cases, you're going to want to tailor your strategy to the biases that you're more susceptible to. Um, and of course, you have to understand the language and be able to recognize them to figure out which ones you're most susceptible to. So for an, an example of this with me is I am fully aware that I am susceptible to confirmation bias. So again, you know, as a reminder, confirmation bias is, is, bias is seeking evidence, seeking information that reinforces or agrees with your preconceived belief on the topic. So both in, in, you know, real life and in medicine, I'm susceptible to confirmation bias. So what I will do is I will seek disconfirming evidence on purpose. So I go searching for information that um, discounts what I already believe. I attempt to use neutral sources. If I'm Googling something or searching for something, using a private or an incognito window, depending on your search browser or a search engine like um, DuckDuckGo that doesn't, um, that doesn't, you know, create a search bubble and give you the information that you already want to hear. That makes sense. I need to um, work on that a little bit more. Yeah. I think, um, confirmation bias, uh, that's probably one of the ones that I struggle with as well. So I need to use some of those techniques that you're talking about. Yeah. I think, I think when I look at people broadly, I think this is the one that's probably the most apparent, um, in others, because especially I think with the culture, you know, the political culture and, and things right now, plus social media and the internet makes it really easy for us to be susceptible to these biases because it, you know, the search engines and the search algorithms are formulated in such a way that they give us information that makes us click more. Um, so this one, I just, I see everywhere. So I'm super, uh, I'm super invested in, in strategies to mitigate confirmation bias. So that's, that's an example for you. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, identifying bias in yourself. The next thing is surrounding yourself with people who can speak this language. So when Tracy and I give this, you know, talk about this and in, in, uh, in CEs or in, in the curriculum, we talk about finding a bias buddy and Tracy, you're my best bias buddy. Um, 
but you find someone who um, can speak the bias language and who is willing to point out to you and who you feel comfortable having point out to you that you're susceptible or that you're experiencing a bias. So Tracy's willing to say to me, Cassidy, you're suffering from confirmation bias again. <laughs> and I, because I have that relationship with her and we have that, um, that language, we share that language. Uh, she can do that without setting me off emotionally. So Cassidy, I think this is important from a precepting standpoint is educating our learners on types of biases. So then we can actually be their bias buddy um, and help them avoid some of those pitfalls prior to actually being on their own in, in practice. That's kind of what I'm thinking here as a preceptor, what I could do better um, with bias and mitigation strategies for myself as well as my learners. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I, th- I find myself, the more that I study this and the more that I um, learn about it and, and practice these, um, these skills that it's, it's super helpful to, uh, to do that with students and to walk them through. Okay. I think that you've got framing effect going on. Um, and this is why, and this is why I need you to, um, or why you need to learn how to not, um, present this patient with your biases at the forefront of that presentation. So great point, Tracy. Uh, So find yourself a bias buddy and learn to speak the bias language. Uh, There's a lot of other, a lot of other aids and other things that we can do. So maybe we'll just go through them and um, Tracy jump in when you've got a, you, you practice several of these. So jump in when you have some examples as well. So the first group of, of mitigation strategies that I want to talk about are called cognitive forcing strategies, and they force your mind to think more in that, that type two thinking. So that was slower, more methodical thought process. So the first cognitive forcing strategy is the rule of three. And I have three rules of three. Um, Tracy, I know that you use the rule, a couple of the rules of three. Um, do you want to talk about how you use the rule of three? The one rule of three that I use um, frequently, most often with my learners, is when they get a question from the provider, they don't have enough information. And so what they inevitably start doing is looking up something that they think that the provider is wanting. um, And then, of course, put their own thoughts on that when that's not really the case. So I have them clarify uh, by asking three more questions. So then they can get more of an understanding of where the provider is coming from, uh, along with more of a, a... you know, taking out their own opinions and own thoughts and leading them towards a more concrete answer. Yeah, I think that's great. I use that with, with my learners too. I have, uh, I have appy students, ippy students, and I have residents, um, both PGY1 and PGY2. And we work closely with medical residents. And I think that that rule of three, that ask three questions is especially important when you, when you've got learners dealing with other learners. Um, because they're not always on the same page and they don't know enough to anticipate, anticipate what the provider is actually asking. So I absolutely use that rule of three as well, um, or that version of the rule of three. The other two uh, types of the rule of three that I use are having my learners provide me with three treatment options. So for example, you might hear, okay, a patient ha- this patient has hypertension. And usually for most of us, there's a drug that pops into mind. 
as our first line for hypertension. But instead of letting students or ourselves, learners or ourselves, just go with what first comes to mind, always have three options kind of in your pocket and think through, okay, you know, lisinopril is probably my number one choice, but my other options are hydrochlorothiazide or amlodipine. And with these patient-specific factors, which of those three makes the most sense? So that you're not always just jumping to the first one that comes to mind. I think that's a pitfall that we all kind of fall into. Oh, well, we'll just use this. And inevitably you can't for one reason or another. So already having those ready to go is important as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's another, that's the second form of the rule of three. And then the third one is when you find yourself doing the same treatment for the third time, then you probably need to re-examine what you're doing and do something different. So an example of this would be, you know, you're getting ready to, to give your third liter of fluids and a patient that's septic. Well, it's very possible that they need three liters of fluid, but um, if there's no response, then at that third liter, you need to be thinking, okay, does this make sense? Is there something that I'm missing? What else do I need to be doing at this point? So that's the rule of three. Um, another cognitive forcing strategy we've already talked about is that seeking disconfirming evidence. So this forces you to go through and look, um, for something that disagrees with what you already believe. And then the third cognitive forcing strategy that I like to use is, is called the three P's. So this is perceive process and perform. And I think we do this. Um, some of us intentionally, some of us not so intentionally, but the goal here is to make it intentional and active, an active process. So you're going to perceive that a clinical situation has changed, right? You perceive, okay, this patient did or did not respond to what I did, what treatment I gave or what I recommended. And then you're going to process that information and determine a course of action. And then you're going to perform that action And what's cool about this is it's a feedback loop. So you need to keep going it. The closed loop forces you to keep going through this um, decision-making exercise. So you're going to perform that action and then you're going to perceive if your intended outcomes occurred or not. And I think we get into this, well, kind of a passive, it didn't work, but it didn't necessarily hurt. So I'm just going to keep going with it. And you don't really think about and perceive, okay, does this make sense? Should we make this? Should we make a change? It's not an active decision. It's a passive one that happens just because you've already started that process. So Cassidy, these cognitive forcing strategies seem like a lot of work and take a lot of time. So if I focus on using these and really work on putting them into my decision-making processes, does it become faster and easier? Yeah, it absolutely does. For me, for example, the rule of three and the asking three questions is so built into my personal workflow that I don't even think about it anymore. And I just, I just do it. They do get faster, but I would say that like with the three P's, the point in that particular one is not necessarily for it to be a a passive exercise. That's part of the point. You're forcing yourself into that, that more deliberate Uh, system of thinking. So it does get faster and it's obviously not prudent to be using these hundred percent of the time, but I think teaching the process and helping students and yourself recognize when it's important to move into using, like, for example, the three P's um, based on, on the situation and your susceptibilities to bias. That makes it a little bit easier for me to incorporate more of these 
types of strategies into my workflow. Absolutely. We'll talk about a couple of a couple more of them, but I think picking a few that you feel like are reasonable to add and that you want to get experience with, because you do need to try them out and figure out how, how to incorporate them. Um, it'd be very overwhelming to just, to just pick every single one and try to do them all at once. So pick one or two, give it a try, see how it works for you, see what outcomes and changes you have in your practice and your precepting, um, and go from there. Tracy, do you see yourself, do you find yourself using any of these other strategies? Um, I'm not as good at the others. I'm best at the rule of three, but just listening to this, I realize that I do need to start working on some of those. So let me know know that I use some of the other ones that you're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's do that. Let's move into some of the other ones. So that those three that I talked about, the rule of three, seeking disconfirming evidence, and then the three P's, those are again, just to refresh were cognitive forcing strategies. So the next group that I'm going to talk about are, are cognitive aids. And I think pharmacists get really giddy about cognitive aids. Um, I do. I know I do. But cognitive aids are things like algorithms and checklists and practice guidelines and mnemonics, um, things that make it easier for us to recall the information and to go through the information in a systematic way. So I think to my own practice, and I work in in general medicine with family medicine, medical residency on the inpatient service along with the pharmacy residents and students that I have with me, our medical residents are funny. There's a little bit of a difference in pharmacy and medicine and the, um, I guess, how married we are to, to practice guidelines. But my medical residents have gotten to the point that they joke with us all the time when they'll say, okay, pharmacy, because we don't, we no longer have a name. We're just collectively known as pharmacy, but pharmacy, do you have a recommendation on this? And they all kind of like under their breaths mutter, well, the guidelines recommend. And um, I think that's one of the beauties of pharmacy is that we do have a really intense focus and learning and respect for practice guidelines. But I also think that we have to be really careful about knowing when they do and don't actually apply to a particular patient. Agreed. Yeah. My students tend to get too focused on the, this is what the guidelines say and forget to look at the individual patient to see if the patient has read the guidelines and they're going to follow that treatment. Right. So, um, I constantly tell them it's great to look at the guidelines, but realize the guidelines just guide you. You've got to look to see if you can incorporate those specific things due to your patient. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So cognitive aids are pretty simple. There's, you know, algorithms, checklists, practice guidelines. The next, um, strategy. These aren't strategies that you necessarily as an individual will incorporate per se, but they're system-based interventions. And some of you may have the opportunity to sit on quality boards or quality committees in your institutions um, or be in a position to influence change. And I think it's important that you understand system-based interventions that can help with decreasing bias in your system, in your health system, or in whatever system you're working in. So This includes things like lighting and workflow and the general setup of of the workspace. Having a a culture of quality, so a culture that's safe to report errors, it is encouraged to improve and to get better. And then we know that that organizations uh, in large make better decisions than than individuals. And it's part of it is because of the, 
it slows things down. I mean, there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape with organizational decision-making, but group decision strategy. Um, so from an, an organizational level, that is better than an individual, or it's typically less error, less cognitive bias prone than individual decision-making, but also group decision, smaller group decision strategies. So instead of one individual making the decision, it's a group. And I think this is, this is why team-based care is so important because you've got, you know, a leader of the team, typically the physician, and then you've got other people with different views and different um, training and different understanding of the situation that work together to make a decision in the best interest of the patient. And that is why team-based care is super important. Agreed. So Cassie, let's give some specific tips for our preceptors, some overall take-home message tips. So this is Tracy's top two tips for preceptors. So the first one, I think for me, like Cassidy has said, we've we've looked into this. And so it's caused a lot of self-reflection. And what I have learned is all the different biases that I am prone to. And so as I am going through and looking at the way in which I practice or the way that I teach or the way my thought process goes, I am more self-aware of the types of biases that I am more prone to. So I would encourage our listeners and our preceptors to do that same thing. Think back to the way you do things or while you're in the moment, are biases creeping in? Why are you prone to that? Is this a common thing? or not. And like Cassie had said before, there's tons of different biases out there. um, And we only presented just a few. So you might have to do a little bit of research to see maybe some more that you are uh, prone to. When it comes to precepting, I would say we need to teach our learners about the different types of biases. And then when we notice a bias creeping in with our learners, give immediate feedback um, to them about that. So immediate feedback is to into their decision-making process or different pitfalls that they could potentially uh, drop into, um, you know, what is the bias? How do we mitigate that? And I think that's just one way in which we can really turn things around, not only for ourselves, but also our, our learners. So uh, self-assessment and then, of course, immediate feedback. What about you, Cassidy? What words of wisdom do you have? <laughs> well, thanks, Tracy. I think... I I love that you pointed out the immediate feedback and decision-making. I think feedback is the, is the eternal topic when it comes to precepting. We could talk about feedback and how important it is, but it um, helping learners see that, you know, at the point of, at the point of error is super important. Um, But my two, my two pieces of feedback, I think for preceptors or my words of wisdom would be um, name biases that you see, like name them, name them, um, accurately and, and don't be afraid to point them out and become conversant in the language of bias so that you can, you can kind of remove the emotion from it when you, you and whoever you're speaking to your learners or your colleagues both understand what a bias means. Then what, you know, what confirmation bias, for example, means you can both say, oh yeah, you're right. I am looking for evidence that supports what I already believe. I need to actively go look for something that, that doesn't, um, so name the biases that you see in yourself and others. And then the other one would just be slow down, take a step back, think about what your predisposing factors are. How are you feeling that day? And, you know, use some cognitive forcing strategies to help you slow down and, and look at alternatives. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the harder ones. It sounds simple, but it is a little bit harder because we have so many things going on in our day and some of them are definitely time sensitive, but um, I think that's really important that we do take that time. Yeah. And just remembering that in medicine, medicine, especially it's better probably to slow down than to make the wrong decision because of the potential negative outcomes that could happen with making an incorrect or a biased decision. Agreed. So Tracy, I guess in terms of, of take home message today, overall, I think that remembering that biases are common, you're susceptible to them. I'm susceptible to them. Everyone is susceptible to them and then recognize them in yourselves and your learners, point them out by name, and then use some of those mitigation strategies that we talked about um, today to help decrease their impact. I think that's a great take home message, Cassidy. And I wanna thank you for joining us today and and coming and talking about this because you are definitely more uh, better versed in this than, than I am. And I have, again, learned something from you today on this topic. So I really appreciate you coming today. And I'd like to say thank you to all the preceptors out there who take time for our, uh, our students as well as our, our learners, I should say, because we do have resident preceptors. So thank you to all of you. And we thank you for listening today. Thanks, Tracy, for having me. It's always a pleasure to spend the afternoon with my bias buddy. I love it. Thank you. Again, thank you very much, Tracy and Cassie, for another great episode. I'm glad you're able to continue the conversation on cognitive biases and help us solidify this information. As our listeners continue to preset, mentor, and support students, don't forget to check out some of the other great educational content designed for preceptors in our show notes. Like last time, these courses are focused on leveraging diversity, breaking down structural racism, and helping understand who our learners are, where they are, so we can engage them and help them grow. With that, we want to thank everybody for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next month.